He has to get in the zone. You know. Well, howdy, 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 and welcome to the Real Faith Live Show. While the world is getting darker, Real Faith is getting a little hotter and a little brighter. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Real Faith Live Show! Standing in for Ashley today. Uh, and she had her baby! <laughs> and I'm on so much sleep, I have never been more rested in my entire life. Let me tell you, it's been awesome to have a week off, uh, just resting, sleeping, going to the gym. None of my routine has changed. Ashley's is a disaster, but mine is great. Change, Ashley's is a disaster, but mine is great. Maybe you should help her out a little bit. Yeah, I'm totally kidding. I am <laughs> so exhausted on like three cold brews right now just to come at live with you guys right now to catch up with y'all. Um, let me know what you guys have been doing lately in the comments below. It's great to see you again. Uh, Nadia? Yes. I am doing an informal poll with everyone at Real Faith and I wanted to ask you, how handsome is my son? Well, he's quite adorable. I think he really takes after Ashley. Oh. <laughs> All right. Yeah. It's a boy. He's a son that looks like a woman. Is that what you're trying to say? He's really cute. What can I say? He's really cute. He's like <laughs> the cutest kid ever. I did get to hold him. You did. Highlight of my year. I think you're going to hold him later today. Too. I am. And you're pretty excited about it. Yeah. You kind of just want the show to be over so you could. Yeah. Yeah. Can we go? I know. I know. Bye. Uh, okay. <laughs> Not he'll be back after she holds my son. Um, Indy Anna <laughs> Levi Chase was born uh, on 9-23-23. It's going to be easy for me. So uh, it was awesome. He was a whopping 7 pounds, 8 ounces. Uh, he's gained a pound in his first week, which is twice the average. He's, uh, he's Already chugging. Already a prodigy. Yeah, he's chugging. Um, <laughs> I, I guess if gaining weight's a prodigy, <laughs> then yes, he's crushing it. <laughs> Above average weight gain. <laughs> Something you don't see every day. Um, all right, so. Don't be like Indy. <laughs> if you are above the age of one years old, your goal is to not gain weight quickly, just to clarify. Okay, Nadia. Yes. What book of the Bible are we in? First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, and what are we studying? Uh, the end times. The end times. It's this, fun. It's been a good time. Yeah. You're just hopeful for the end times coming soon. Yeah, I've checked off everything in my my life that needs to happen to this point. Uh -huh. I, I dri the big thing growing up when end times were coming all the time, everybody uh -huh. was talking about it. I grew up in very charismatic churches. It was always about to happen. And uh, I was like, I need to drive. I need to drive a car. Okay. Like, that's huge. So like 14 year old, driving a car down the road. I think that's illegal. It was, okay. but I did it because I was worried God was coming back. They're not gonna catch us. We're on a mission from God. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't have a chance. Uh, getting married, that was that was the second one. Did and you then, do that at 14 too? Uh, I was a little bit older. Okay, but, um, that's good. Yeah, Ashley, Ashley wouldn't let me. Uh, it took a while. <laughs> that's um, probably for the best. Probably for the best. Uh, and then the last one was having a kid, so I'm good. Like, come on, God, we're good. Let's go. Um, it's just funny to me because I feel like for like thousands of years, people have been feeling like God's going to come back like tomorrow. Yeah. So 
you just can't plan on it. You can prepare for it and live for it, and uh, that's really what this book is all about. So thank you guys for tuning in. It's awesome. Today's sermon title is... More second coming, less second guessing. Mmm, maybe half the second guesser. Maybe. <laughs> I really introed that one well. Uh, Pastor Mark's going to be speaking on the second coming of Jesus. So what do you think? Is he coming back soon? Throw your thoughts in the chat below. Maybe tomorrow. We'll see. After you hold Indy, right? Yeah. Obviously. Obviously. All right, here at Real Faith, we give away tons of free Bible teaching, and we want to include you. If you're not signed up, text BOLD. To 99383. Nadia, why the word bold? Because here at Real Faith, we give you guys bold, courageous Bible teaching, and we want you to be bold. Dang right, girl! <laughs> you nailed it. Give this girl a raise. <laughs> so, bold to 99383, bold to 99383, and we'll send you free resources, bonus sermon content, devos, daily devos, and much, much more. So, uh, we're super thankful for you guys texting bold to 99383. Mm-hmm. Nadia, have you been enjoying learning how to survive the end times? I've been loving it. Yeah, you're just like an eternal optimist, yeah. but a pe- pessimist at the same time. It's great. Uh, I like and, surviving. You and Ashley uh, <laughs> you have that in common. So um, we're in First Thessalonians. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious, what comes after First Thessalonians? You know, I think it's probably Second Thessalonians. <laughs> so Second Thessalonians, guys, we're almost there. Pastor Mark's going to be diving into the book of. Second Thessalonians, it's going to be awesome. The book's called, uh, the study guide's called More Walk, Less Talk. And it's, uh, <laughs> all right, all right. Do you want me to just make you permanently the show host? Because no. I can do that. <laughs> Please, no. Um, so, uh, yeah, Sassy Pants over here needs to chill out. Hey. Uh, this is the second part in the survival guide of the end times. Um, so guys, if you want to get this before anyone else, the way to do that is to give your gift of any amount to partner with us here at Real Faith. Help us get Bible teaching out to all the nations. The way you'll do that is jump on realfaith.com partner, and we will send that. You guys jump on there, give a gift anywhere from $5 to $500,000. We'll send you guys that study guide straight to your house, and you'll know how to survive the end times. And I would encourage surviving. So like money doesn't matter if you don't survive. So I'd encourage you guys, give a little bit to real faith, survive. Just give it all away. Yeah, give it all away. (laughs) Ten times are coming. There was actually a guy, I think his last name was Camping or something. And uh, he had this radio show in California, Arizona, like all over. Uh And he was predicting a date that the world was going to end on. And he was like selling tickets to heaven. And like people were giving away all their possessions. It was really lucrative for him. Yeah, not. But not for all the other people that thought the world was going to end. No. Nadia, what will you find in this survival guide? Well, I've been told that it's going to unlock profound insights from the 2nd Thessalonians to equip yourself to navigate this upside-down world. You'll also be able to find hope and purpose in uncertain times and help prepare for Jesus' triumphant return. That was so well written. Thank you, marketing guy. Yeah, wow, that sounded like you read it off a teleprompter. (laughs) It sounded like it. In addition (laughs) to donating to get that amazing study guide, you'll help fuel the work of Real Faith. Real Faith is 100% supported 100%. by... 100%. Mm-hmm. It's not like PBS, government supported, that whole thing. No. Elon's not going to put it on our Twitter badge. Anyways, so we're 100% supported by ministry partners like you. We could not do this. We could not get the gospel out to millions of people every week without your help. So we got people that jump on, sign up for recurring giving. They give a gift every single month, whether that's like $10 a month, $50 a month. 
If you sign up for recurring, we send you the, the gift every single month. It's a book, it's a study guide, it's a free piece of merch. It's something from Real Faith directly to your house. So if you sign up for recurring, that's super helpful. Or a one-time gift is awesome too. This last week, we actually supported a church in Pakistan that gave away, they held an abort abortion conference when we put that book out. Some of you guys might remember that uh, from a year ago when we, uh, Pastor Mark wrote that great book on abortion and why you shouldn't, should not be pro-abortion. Uh, pro-life, guys, that's, that's what we are here. Um, but this group in Pakistan, this church, decided to put on a conference for all the women in their village about abortion based on the book. Um, this year that church burnt down and so did a bunch of houses in their village. They're under attack and Real Faith jumped in and uh, a bunch of you guys, ministry partners, jumped in and helped support them. So we're sending them a gift to help them rebuild. So guys, you can support Real Faith, get Bible teaching out to all the nations, literally help burning churches in other countries. So guys, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support and helping churches like that, helping us, help us get Bible teaching out. Thank you so much. Nadia? I have a question for you. Yes. Um, is it time to hold Indy? Yes. No, no, that was the wrong answer. <laughs> uh, what time is it? It's service time! This one's gonna be different. Um, I've been preaching for 30 years and uh, I've never had a week uh, of preparation quite like this one. Um, my wife drove me here because I'm a bit disoriented and uh, God's been revealing things to me in a deep and profound way um, all week, uh, a constant flow of new revelation, things I've never um, put together or considered or really read anywhere, uh, including just moments ago, I got another scripture from Joel that I'll share with you in the sermon. And there'll probably be a lot of um, prophetic revelation during the course of the sermon. Um, and so uh, we're gonna pray in a moment. And I believe this may be the most significant and timely sermon I've preached. Sometimes I teach, sometimes I preach. Today, I, by the grace of God, will prophesy and talk about uh, the times in which we live in light of the word of God. And, uh, and if, I, uh, if I can make it through, that'd be great. For those who may see this on video at a service, I was hoping to preach all four. I don't think emotionally I can do this four times, but I'm gonna try. Um, two things and then we'll pray. Um, we're gonna talk about uh, the second coming of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, the kingdom of God, the last days and the end times. And some of you are gonna have a lot of questions. So let me give you a, a free gift if you want it. Um, it's a chapter from a systematic theology that I co-authored called Doctrine. We'll send it to you on the kingdom of God. It'll answer your questions about what does it mean that Jesus is returning and is there a heaven and is there a hell and is there a resurrection? And a lot of questions get answered. Number three, and then I will pray. Uh, if you're a man, I'd invite you to join us for Real Men this week. We've got uh, some special guests. 
one of which is uh, Chad Wolf. He was the acting secretary of the Department of Homeland Security during the Trump administration. He will be joining us. And as we're looking at open borders in Ukraine and Israel, I want to interview him about our open border and uh, what that means for us as a nation and as a state. And so this is a big week. Um, let me pray and then we'll get to work. Father God, I pray against the enemy of servants, their works and effects. Lord God, uh, this has been an incredible week for many of us, perhaps most of us. We haven't really felt this sort of disorientation since 9-11. Um, Lord God, we live in a world where some would say that people are basically good and then evil arises and it's undeniable and it's too late because they didn't prepare for it. Lord God, I pray for this sermon. Um, I pray against the spirit of Hamas. I pray for the Holy Spirit. I pray for an anointing on this word and me as your son and your servant. I pray for an anointing on our time together and the distribution of this word to the nations. God, I pray it would reach millions in Jesus' name and that would help your people make sense of what is going on in this world in light of your word. And so help us, Holy Spirit, so that we might have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to love Jesus in whose name we pray, amen. So let me begin uh, with the storyline of the Bible and we will find our way to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, but let me begin with the storyline of the Bible. In Genesis 12, there is a man named Abram. He comes from a pagan father and family, it tells us in the book of Joshua. And God chooses him and pursues him, predestines him, elects him, calls him and saves him and says, you need to leave your father and mother as an act of faith to a land that I will show you. That land is very significant. That land is still in contention some 4,000 years later. God then honors his obedience of faith as he leaves his father and mother and he is sojourning. And then in Genesis chapter 15, God appears to him again, this God that he has just met and reveals to him something that theologians will call the Abrahamic covenant. And God makes a series of promises to him. And this is an unconditional covenant, meaning God will create the covenant and he will cause it to be kept. It's an unbreakable covenant because it is secured by the promise of God. The Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 15, echoed throughout scripture, it has uh, three aspects, land, lineage, and Lord. Land, it promises a piece of real estate to the descendants of Abraham. We now know that as the promised land. Lineage, that through Abraham would come a son, and through that son would come a nation. We now know them as the Jews or the Israelis. And that in that land, through those people, the land, the lineage, would come the Lord that ultimately all of this was to prophetically pave the way for the coming of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy and also to come as the fulfillment of the entirety of the Jewish system. In that moment that God spoke that covenant, there began a spiritual war that continues to this day. Every time God is creating, Satan is counterfeiting. Every time Satan is breaking, it's because God is building. And so the demonic satanic war in history is over the land, who's gonna take the land, the lineage, will they be destroyed, and who is the Lord? That being said, as you move forward to um, the rest of the Bible, it talks a lot about this Abrahamic covenant and the land, the promised land. The Old Testament speaks of the promised land about 2,000 times, the New Testament about 700 times. This land is crucial to 
political history and prophetic history. In Genesis 16, Abram and his wife, Sarah, um, they struggled to believe the promises of God. God told them, you're going to have a son and he will bring you a lineage. And through him will come the Lord, a blessing to the nations of the earth through the seed, singular, an individual named Jesus Christ of Abraham. Sarah and Abraham waited many years and they were incapable of having a child because they were both elderly and she was barren. Losing faith, Sarah devised a scheme whereby Abraham would take a second wife, surrogate, and have a son with that woman. Therefore, Abraham, he listened to his wife, he shouldn't have. Sometimes you should listen to your wife, but not when she brings another woman home. So now Abraham has his wife, Sarah. He takes a second wife, Hagar. She is an Egyptian unbeliever and she has a son. His name is Ishmael, Ishmael. Here's what it says in Genesis 16:12. God is prophesying the future of Ishmael and his descendants. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will be an unrestrainable and untamable man. He goes on to have 12 sons, just like the 12 tribes of Israel. Eventually, what happens is that God fulfills his prophetic promise to Sarah, and she too has a son named Isaac. Now you have Abraham, two wives, two sons, one covenant. Who gets the land? Who will be the blessed lineage? and from which side of the family will come the Lord. This leads to great conflict between the wives and the sons. And inevitably what happens is that God chooses Isaac, the son of Sarah, and God rejects Ishmael, the son of Hagar, to fulfill and to receive the full promises of the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis, 22, something very curious happens. And that is that God tells Abraham to sacrifice his only son, the son of the promise, the son who was born of a miracle and the firstborn son, all prophesying the coming of Jesus Christ, the son of God. At this time, Isaac is a grown man and his father is quite elderly and Isaac is told to carry wood on his back to a place where he would willingly lay himself down as a sacrifice to his father. All of this is prefiguring, prophesying, foreshadowing the coming of Jesus, the son of God, who would carry the wood of the cross on his back and willingly lay down his life to be put to death by his own father, his heavenly father. Isaac lays his body down in surrender, Abraham takes the knife and is prepared to slaughter his son. Uh, Holy Spirit reminds me in Hebrews, it says that he believed that if necessary, God would raise his son from the dead. The resurrection, however, was not to be for that son, but the son of God. God then stops him, an angel does, perhaps the angel of the Lord, which may have been the Lord Jesus Christ pre-incarnate, 
and says, do not sacrifice your son. You've been tested, pass the test. You have faith in God. You're willing to give your first and best. And on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Later, the temple was built in that same region. And later, Jesus Christ, the son of God, came to that same region. He came as the greater Isaac. He carried the wood on his back. He laid down his life and he was put to death as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. 2,000 years later, a man named Muhammad was visited by a demon. He said he received a revelation from an angel. It was a demon. Um, Galatians tells us that even if an angel from heaven should appear, if they present a gospel other than the one that is presented by the apostle Paul, then they are to be accursed, that that is a demonic counterfeit spirit. Everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. Muhammad is visited by a demon. He calls it an angel, but it's a fallen angel and it's a demon. And the angel demon says that he needs to begin prophesying and present to the world a new religion. The essence of Islam that comes from Muhammad is that the Hebrew scriptures are wrong, that God chose Hagar, not Sarah, and the son of promise for the Abrahamic covenant is Ishmael, not Isaac. He actually takes the story of Genesis 22, and he says that it was Ishmael who went with Abraham, and it was Ishmael who was the firstborn son of the promise. And it was Ishmael who laid down his life for his father. Islam takes all of the storyline of the Bible and it twists it so that Sarah is rejected, Hagar is accepted, Isaac is rejected, and Ishmael is accepted. And then they will say that as a result, the Abrahamic covenant belongs to the descendants not of Isaac, and those are the Jewish people, but to the descendants of Ishmael, those are the Arabs and the Palestinians. And they would say that is our land and it should be our lineage and we worship our Lord, not Jesus, but Allah. There has constantly been a war for these three things. Who owns the land? Which lineage is the inheritance of the covenant and who ultimately is the Lord. You need to know that this is a profound spiritual battle that continues until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. This is not just political. This is biblical and deeply, profoundly spiritual. Um, today, uh, Christianity is represented by the cross and Islam is represented by the crescent. On the top of churches is the cross and we are worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His name is Jesus Christ. On top of mosques, there is not a cross, there is a crescent. And this is what we find is going to be our moon tonight. This is what the world will see in the sky. We are looking at the ring of fire lunar eclipse that is descending on the earth today. As there is war in the Middle East, the sign in the heavens is the crescent on fire. Now, what we witnessed a week ago today was Hamas invading and attacking Israel. 
Hamas are Palestinians, descendants of Ishmael. Israel are Jews, descendants of Isaac. This battle has been occurring for 4,000 years, roughly back to the days of Abraham. And the attack was land, sea, and air. It occurred on a Saturday morning, which in Israel is the Sabbath day. People are sleeping. Their technology is off. As a result, they are more vulnerable. In addition, they were finishing a week-long Jewish holiday, and it was a time off of work, and it was one of the most joyous weeks on the Hebrew calendar. This would be like Thanksgiving or Christmas for those of us who are in the States. You're traveling to see family, your technology is off, you're resting and enjoying. And then there was a terrorist attack. And as we are watching the news, you will see grown men doing the most damnable, despicable and demonic evil to civilians, to women, to children and the elderly. And they are shouting Allah Akbar. Some will translate that as God is great. Perhaps a better translation of that Arabic phrase is our God is greater. This is a declaration that the demon and demons working through these people consider themselves to be greater than Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Ephesians 6 says that our war is not just against flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, and spirits. Practically, what this means is when you see conflict in the seen realm, there is far greater conflict in the unseen realm. And when you hear our God is greater, that is a declaration of spiritual warfare from a demon against Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know that roughly 1,300 Israelis have died so far. There will be more uncovered and discovered, including hostages that have been taken. By comparison, in Pearl Harbor, about 3,000 Americans died. On 9-11, roughly 2,000 Americans died. To understand the, the trauma in Israel right now, consider this, that they are a nation of merely 8.9 million people. The United States of America is a nation of roughly 340 million people. If you were to just do the math, this would be the equivalent of 40,000 people dying on 9-11, not 2,000. And hostages being taken and held. And some of their brutality live streamed on the internet or sent via their cell phone of the victim to their mothers and fathers to increase trauma and torment. Benjamin Netanyahu has declared this to be a war. For the first time in 50 years, the nation of Israel is at war. Last time that the nation of Israel was at war was the Yom Kippur War in 1973. This is exactly 50 years plus one day from the Yom Kippur War. 
And what's interesting is the Yom Kippur War was started during a Jewish holiday, and this uh, terrorist attack was during a Jewish holiday. Uh, this is not coincidence. There are two reasons I believe that this is happening. Number one, um, they know that people, civilians, will be more vulnerable during a holiday season. And number two, they are trying to create uh, torment and terror through a negative anniversary. If, if attacks happen on your holidays, they become negative anniversaries and you no longer stop to honor and to thank your God. Instead, you are triggered and traumatized by the memory of what happened on that holiday because it then becomes an unholiday, an unholy day. So where we find ourselves now is the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. And again, the Palestinians are the descendants of Ishmael. And the Jews are the descendants of Isaac. And what we now see on the news is very profoundly and deeply troubling for all of us who have the heart of God. And what we are seeing is airstrikes into the Gaza Strip. We're seeing airstrikes on civilian buildings and targets. We um, also know that about 2 million people live in the Gaza Strip. It is by land mass, perhaps the third most uh, populated, uh, densely populated area on the earth. Uh, these are human beings now that God knows and loves. God loves both sides of the conflict and they both need Jesus. Only 2% of Jews and only 2% of Palestinians are Christians. Until Jesus is Lord of them both, they cannot be reconciled and there will be no peace. So the answer to all of this is ultimately that everyone bends their knee to Jesus and he rules over them rather than trying to rule over one another. But right now, there are two million in Gaza, no water, no electricity, no internet. Um, the, the Israeli army is preparing for ground invasion. This is going to get very bloody and this will not be resolved quickly most likely. This is a just war. Um, I won't get into the details of just war, but this is a just war because this was a terrorist attack, not a military attack on civilians, not an army. Therefore, corresponding strike of force is a just war. Israel is justified in this war. They are justified. And what the Hamas terrorist group has done is created something that counselors will call a double bind. A double bind is you can lose or you can lose. Now, if Israel doesn't strike back, they lose because Hamas, this terrorist organization of Palestinians who are descendants of Ishmael, they will just continue to plot against Israel and attack. In addition, it will encourage other bad actors to do the same. However, if they do respond as they are with airstrikes, the problem is they're having to attack civilian targets. This is leading to global protest. France had to literally call a curfew and shut down their country because they've let so many Muslims into the country, there's picketing and protesting and rioting. There were 50,000 on the streets, uh, the news reported, in and around London protesting for Hamas. In addition, in universities from Arizona State University to Harvard, we are seeing students rise up who are pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas. 
Um, and what they are calling out is the fact that civilians are being targeted. Let me, um, let me explain to you why this is a double bind. The way that Hamas is working in the Gaza Strip, they know that they cannot win a war with Israel, and so they hide. They have munitions and operations in schools, hospitals, mosques. They have built underground bunkers under schools, hospitals, and mosques. They are hiding munitions in schools, hospitals, and mosques. Therefore, if you're going to send an airstrike, they have created a human shield of civilians. And if you don't attack them, then they will destroy you. If you do attack them, then the whole world will cry injustice. Injustice. And so this is, um, this is Gaza. Let me explain to you what's happening. So Gaza is surrounded by Israel. On the right is a fortified, secured wall. The Palestinians in Gaza cannot escape. There's only one entrance to the north and one entrance to the south. It's like your home with a front and back door. You can enter and exit through Israel in the north or Egypt in the south. Right now, Israel has told the civilians, flee, we are going to bomb, we are going to take out those strategic terrorist targets. The problem is, number one, Hamas is blocking people from traveling to the southern part of the nation. In addition, they are encouraging them to remain and become martyrs. Let me just verbal process this for you a moment. Islam is primarily a religion of death. The, the greatest honor is to die as a martyr. If you die as a martyr, you get virgins in heaven, you're celebrated like a rock star in your culture, and your family gets a generous inheritance. It's a religion that glorifies death. And so when they're making the call to die for the cause, they're just being true to their culture of death. In addition, Egypt and the South has closed their border. There's nowhere for these people to go. Now, for those of us that have the heart of God, we know that there are terrorists there and there are also some innocent civilians, including a handful of Christians. And they can't leave and they're in a difficult position. And so when the international community starts to cry out and the progressive liberals start to cry out that this is injustice and civilians, great. Then Egypt needs to open their border and Hamas needs to open the roads. And those who are part of the problem need to become part of the solution because this is a justified war taking out strategic targets for terrorist enemies. And when you put women and children in harm's way, you are evil and demonic. Let me talk about Hamas. This, um, this was a prophetic revelation this week that I, 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 I just stopped and I felt the presence of God in a profound and deep way and I felt very disoriented. Um, Hamas is a Palestinian acronym for the Islamic resistance movement. It is also an Arabic word that means zeal, Hamas. All of the headlines now, Hamas. Hamas is also a Hebrew word in the Bible. It appears here in Genesis 6:11, in the days of Noah. 
Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence, Hamas. Hamas is the Hebrew word for violent evil. And that word filled is sometimes translated, including in Jeremiah, if memory serves me correct, as possessed. The whole world was possessed by the spirit of Hamas. It's demonic possession globally. Demonic possession is the counterfeit of being filled with the spirit. Hamas is a spirit. Hamas is a de demonic spirit of violence that is antichrist. And it is intentionally um, motivated to attack and destroy the Abrahamic covenant. Take the land and the lineage and redefine who the Lord is. I'm telling you that Hamas is a demonic spirit that has been at work since the days of Noah. What did God do to everyone who had the spirit of Hamas in the days of Noah? He flooded the earth and destroyed them. The spirit of Hamas that possessed all people caused them to be destroyed. And the only people who survived and lived were not filled with the Hamas spirit, but the Holy Spirit. Hamas is a word that is used to refer to, and all of this is in my notes, the Chaldeans and the Babylonians in Jeremiah 31.5, the Shechemites in Judges 9.34, and the Egyptians in Joel 3.19. Not only were people filled with the spirit of Hamas in the days of Noah, also they were filled with the spirit of Hamas in the Chaldean Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Shechemite Empire, and the Egyptian Empire. The point is this, people come and go, but the demons remain the same. The spirit of Hamas is always working in and through nations, governments, and peoples to bring about possession of the land, ending of the lineage, and destruction of the plan of the Lord. Um, Hamas is a demonic and powerful warrior spirit. And when you see Hamas being celebrated globally, know that that is worship and it is spiritual warfare. Now, back to the story. Sarah, Hagar, Isaac, Ishmael. Conflict in the home. Abraham is the father of two sons and there's only one covenant. Which son will inherit the promise of the covenant? There's conflict between the wives, conflict between the sons. Sarah decides to kick Hagar out of the house. Are you ready? Genesis 16. Sarah said to Abraham, may the wrong Hamas done to me be on you. I gave my servant Hagar to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived Ishmael, she looked at me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, Sarah invited Hagar into the home and it was her idea for her husband to marry this Egyptian woman. And when Hagar moved into the home, Sarah told her husband, we need to cast out. You know what you do with a demon? You cast it out. Sarah went to her husband and said, we need to cast out that woman because she has brought Hamas into our home. 
The spirit of Hamas came with Hagar. It's a demonic spirit. The Hamas spirit that was in the days of Noah came into Abraham's house with Hagar. And the conflict was between the Holy Spirit and the Hamas spirit. Therefore, Abraham had to choose between the Hamas spirit and the Holy Spirit in his household. He chose the Holy Spirit and his wife, Sarah, and their son, Isaac, and he cast out, like a demon, Hagar and the Hamas spirit, along with her son, Ishmael. Are you following me? This is very deep revelation. And the Bible doesn't just tell us what happened, but what always happens. And we don't just look at the Bible, we look through the Bible to make sense of the world in which we live. Um, The battle in Abraham's home is the battle in Abraham's homeland today. The Hamas spirit versus the Holy Spirit, and they cannot coexist. In, let me, um, let me give you another revelation that I got on the drive here. Um, how many of you were just horrified beyond belief to see what they were doing to children and infants this week? Genesis 21. Isaac was weaned. Again, the Jews descend from Isaac. Ishmael was mocking and perhaps threatening him. The Palestinians are descendants of Ishmael. In Genesis 21, Sarah finally had Hagar cast out because the older brother, the wild donkey of a man, was abusing his little brother. At that point, Isaac is around two. Ishmael is around 16. This is a grown 16-year-old young man who is a wild donkey of a man that is mocking and perhaps threatening the well-being of a two-year-old half-brother. Is there any scenario where an abusive, perhaps even dangerous 16-year-old son has a fair fight with a two-year-old half-brother? No. Because see, Ishmael comes with the spirit of Hamas and the spirit of Hamas has no regard for children. In addition, do you remember next book of the Bible, Exodus? Pharaoh, the king, he decrees that there would be infanticide and the murder of the Hebrew Jewish boys who were the descendants of Abraham through Isaac. Um, This was the scripture the Lord gave me as I was coming downstairs for the sermon. In Joel chapter three, verse 19, the Lord says, that he destroyed Egypt because they attacked children and did Hamas. The same Hamas spirit that took the lives of innocent children in the Egyptian empire is at work right now in Israel and the Gaza Strip. This is profoundly spiritual, It is deeply prophetic and it will not be solved by political solutions. 
I pray for political peace, pray for the peace of Israel. I pray for the well-being of the Palestinians. I pray for revival on both sides of the fight that they would come to know the Lord Jesus. But at the end of the day, make no mistake, when you see the descendants of Ishmael doing violence to children, it is the spirit of Hamas that lived in Ishmael and existed in Egypt. Let me explain the difference between Islamic and Christian eschatology. Eschatos is the study of last things. It's what happens in the end. Islamic eschatology is this, that Islam will eventually rule the entire earth, every nation. Islam has no separation of church and state. They rule through the Quran and Sharia law. And it is not a religion of proposition. Christianity is a religion of proposition. Will you repent of your sin and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It is not a religion of proposition. It is a religion of imposition. Convert or die. It's jihad, holy war. So they believe that Islam will rule the world. And let me say, there are nations that are Islamic and they are ruled by the Quran. There's actually right now in Detroit, an entire neighborhood that is ruled by the Quran and Sharia law and the police won't even go into. Wherever Islam gets a foothold, it becomes a stronghold. That's why they had to shut down the streets in France. They're like, well, our laws say you can't behave this way. Like, we, we don't regard your laws. We're not, we're not honoring your nation. We don't believe in your religion. We don't even tolerate it. We wanna dominate it, eradicate it. And their eschatology is that Islam will take over the globe. This is why they keep having children, moving into nations and having lots of children while Westerners um, castrate their children and abort their babies. See, they have the long view of things. If we can just get people into the future, we can rule the future. And the goal ultimately is twofold, that when they bring complete and total domination of the world, they will rule with an iron fist. It'll bring about a peace that will then allow a king to rise up and rule the world as his kingdom, their king. This is the Antichrist. We'll get into this when we get into the next book of the Bible in 2 Thessalonians. This may be the man of lawlessness. It's a counterfeit. Jesus said, that's my planet and I'm coming to be the king and bring shalom peace. And then suddenly there is this counterfeit that comes into being. And that is that there would be another king and another kingdom. Here's what the senior Hamas official Mahmoud al-Zahar says. Here's what he says they are doing. We need to stop and pray. Somebody just passed out. Let's just pray for them and then I'll continue. Father God, we pray for healing for whatever just happened in the back of the room. We pray against the spirit of Hamas. We pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, somebody came here to hear the word of God and they just passed out. I don't know what's going on. I pray for medical help. I pray for their healing in Jesus' name. And if this be any spirit but the Holy Spirit, we say the Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name. This is the sermon we put on the internet. 
this is the sermon that goes out to nations. This is the sermon that this week, when I just verbal processed what I was going to say, a million people watched the clip. I know you wanted to come to church, but it feels like we've come for battle. Here's what the senior Hamas official, Mahmoud al-Zahar says, we believe in what our prophet Muhammad said. Allah, that is the name of their demon God, drew the ends of the world to one another for my sake, and I have seen its eastern and western ends. The dominion of my nation would reach those ends that have been drawn near me. The entire 510 million square kilometers of planet Earth shall come under a system where there is no injustice, no oppression, no Zionism, no Israel, no nation of Israel, no treacherous Christianity, and no killings and crimes like those being committed against the Palestinians and against the Arabs and all the Arab countries and Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and other countries. The one thing I do agree with them is this, this is a war between good and evil. This is not left versus right, this is good versus evil. And they're on the wrong side of the fight. This brings me to 1 Thessalonians 5. That was my introduction. Now we're gonna get into 1 Thessalonians. The Christian eschatology or vision of the end, end times and last days, is that Jesus Christ is coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that he will judge his enemies and he will establish a kingdom that never ends. This brings us to 1 Thessalonians 5. And let me say this as well. I, I pick my sermons about a year in advance. I lay out my preaching calendar. And I, I felt like God wanted me to do Jude on apostasy and then 1 Thessalonians gearing up for healthy, joyful church leading to the second coming. And we find ourselves prophetically at exactly this text this week. Um, the day of the Lord, that's the theme. That's the second coming of Jesus will come like a thief in the night. This week, the world saw what that looked like. No one expected or anticipated the attack and the invasion. It just was sudden, like a thief in the night. Well, people are saying there is peace and security. What was interesting this week, uh, Hamas had been meeting with Israeli officials talking about peace and wanting to live together in peace. And so that they, they thought that it was coming a period of peace and security and it was all a deception. Then sudden destruction, that's what was experienced a week ago, will come upon them as labor pains. That's the pregnant phrase, no pun intended, labor pains. Jesus says this in Matthew 24, eight, that as we get nearer to the last days, the end times, the second coming of Jesus Christ, there will be greater frequency and intensity of birth pains until eternity is birthed at the coming of Christ. We'll come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. God has not destined us for wrath. You need to know this. Wrath is coming, but not for the children of God. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So where is history going? It's going to the second coming of Jesus. And what this means is it'll be the end of the world, but for us, it's the beginning. For those who don't know Jesus, his coming will be the worst day. For us, it'll be the best day. The you and I need to know, friends, Jesus Christ is over all of this. And even though the Israeli and US intelligence was unaware, God was not, God was fully aware. 
That's why the Bible has prophecy. It has 2,500 prophecies, 500 of which have been fulfilled, 2,000 of which rather have been fulfilled. 500 remain to be fulfilled around the second coming of Jesus. And what we're getting here is prophecy about the second coming of Jesus. God knows exactly what's going to happen. God knows, rules, and reveals the future. And what he tells us is that ultimately the Lord Jesus is the only hope for planet Earth. So our hope is in Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed. Right now, the entire planet is uninformed. People are watching the news. They are fearful. They are anxious. They are worried. And they are uncertain because they are uninformed. The word of God and prophecy tells us how to interpret what is going on in our world. And it is birth pains. And it is preparing for the coming of Christ. About those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. When we lose someone who loves the Lord, we grieve, but we don't grieve as people who don't know Jesus. We know that we're gonna see them again. There will be a resurrection and a family reunion. For since we believe that Jesus died, this is the heart of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. He lived without sin. He died and rose again. Amen? That's our hope. So even as we see people die, the worst thing is not to die. The worst thing is to die without knowing Jesus Christ. Even so, through Jesus Christ, God will bring with him those that have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord will come to pass. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend, this is prophecy, from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, all the saints. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is my favorite line. Every time I read it, I literally feel like weeping. We will always be with the Lord. Oh. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that when Jesus returns, we're going to see him face to face. And the Bible says that with nail-scarred hands, he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. And we'll always be with the Lord. I just want to be with Jesus. I don't want to worry about everything. I just want to trust the one who rules over everything. Let him deal with everything. So he says this, therefore, encourage one another with these words. The birth pains, the last days, the conflicts, the wars, the second coming of Jesus, for the church, it should encourage us. Don't let the news discourage you. You are the children of God. You have prophetic promises that await you. These are birth pains that lead to the last days, that lead to the last hour, that lead to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Encourage one another. And that is to pour courage into you. We want to tell people about Jesus because until he returns, we have this great honor. And once he returns, that opportunity for salvation has passed. So there are two major events in world history according to the scriptures and prophecy. The first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. 
The first time he came in humility, the second time he's coming in glory. And so they have questions. What will happen when Jesus returns? Their first question is, what about those believers who died before Jesus returned? How many of you, there's somebody you know or love and they belong to Jesus, but they've died, they passed away. Your question is, okay, what happens to them? Well, he answers. He says they're asleep. The Bible uses different language for believers who die versus unbelievers who die. Um, unbelievers who die, it's, it's death. For believers who die, it's asleep. And it is that their body goes into the ground, but their soul goes to be with the Lord. It's a bit like their body is sleeping while their soul is living. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul says it this way, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So you're, you're a person in two parts, a body and a soul. The deepest part of you is not your body, it's your soul. Because your body can cease to exist and your soul still exists. In addition, Paul says in Philippians 1, 2 through, 21 through 23, to live is Christ, to die is gain, to depart and be with Christ is far better. We've had a few dear saints pass away in recent weeks. We've had a few funerals. And this is the hope of the believer. And we do grieve, he says, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope because we have the hope of the second coming and the bodily resurrection of the children of God. And he says that when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise first, that their soul and their body will be reunited and they will be raised into perfect eternal life, never to die again. You're gonna see loved ones. There's gonna be a family reunion that never ends. I would go so far as to say that I have great confidence because of the father heart of God, that even the abortions and miscarriages could end up in eternal reconciled families and relationships. There's great hope for the children of God. The next question is what happens to believers who are alive when Jesus returns? And he says that uh, we would meet him in the air. And this was all promised and prophesied in Acts chapter one. Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus appeared to crowds upwards of 500 at a time over the course of 40 days. And then he ascended. Um, and there were two angels in white who were there as the disciples were looking up and they said, he will return as he is gone. He, he is now ascending, he will be descending. So the angels told the believers to wait for the descending of Jesus. And this is the prophecy that is given here in 1 Thessalonians, that he will descend from heaven, that's the quote. And it says that he will come with an archangel. Let me explain this. Archangel is a military term for a senior warrior. When Jesus returns, he will come not in humility, but in glory. Not to die, but to slaughter enemies of the king and the kingdom and the children of God. Um, Revelation 19 says that Jesus will return as a rider on a white horse and that the host of heaven will come with him. This is, this is, this is Jesus coming with an angelic army. There is no air force that you have ever seen. There is no top gun pilot who would even engage this aerial assault. And Archangel 
is only used of one angel, Michael. There's only two named angels in the Bible, Gabriel and Michael. And Jude, verse nine, it talks about, quote, the archangel Michael. So it seems like Jesus is returning with an archangel. That's a military official. They will have the heavenly host following him to make war on the earth. And then here it says that we will be caught up with him in the air. And this is the primary text in the Bible for something called the rapture. That comes from the Latin phrase to snatch or to seize. And so what some would say is just as Jesus ascended, we will ascend when he descends, that we will meet him in the air. Um, there's a lot of debate about this. Um, there are many opinions and it's an open-handed issue. But for those who believe in the rapture, this is perhaps the strongest scripture that would say that we will be caught with him in the air at his second coming. So then it leads to a few questions. Um, are we living in the end times? That's the question. I'll share with you a Pew Research study that came out before the invasion and attack on Israel. I'm sure the numbers would be higher. Um, but this is of non-Christians and Christians alike. Um, next slide, please. Are we living in the end times? This is in the US. 39% of all adults, 47% of all Christians, and 63% of Protestant Christians, that's our team, say yes. <laughs> Will Jesus Christ return to earth with a second coming? 55% of all adults, which is insane because most don't believe in Jesus, but they think he's coming back. You think they would, <laughs> right? Let me just, let me... This just hit me. Like, I know it's been a little heavy. Let's just have a, a breathable moment, shall we? Is Jesus coming back? Yes. Is he sending people to hell? Yes. Uh, do you believe in him? No. If I might point out the obvious, that is not a great plan. 75% of professing Christians and 92% of Protestant Christians, our team. Last one. Will Jesus return during your lifetime? 10% of all adults, 21% of Protestant Christians, and 27% of adults say, I'm not sure. Um, let me go to a deeper level of prophetic revelation. What are some of the birth pains that come before Jesus comes? Right? Um, I won't read it all, but if you wanna read it for yourself, Ezekiel 38 and 39 talks about a final war. And let me set it up and then let me show it to you. It talks about that there will be this constant attack from the nations surrounding Israel to take the land, to destroy the lineage and to oppose the Lord. It is a 4,000 year thus far war on the Abrahamic covenant. And so as you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, history and the Bible tells us that Israel has been invaded and attacked over and over and over throughout their history. The existence of the nation of Israel and the sustaining of the nation of Israel to me is proof positive that there is a God because apart from supernatural explanation, these people don't have that land and they don't keep it. So what it says in Ezekiel 38, 39, as you read it, it can seem a little complicated. Let me articulate it in the simplest form. 
it'll name all of these nations surrounding Israel. Gog, Magog, these various nations. You just need to know that in the ancient world, um, these were the countries surrounding Israel. Imagine if uh, today we said, uh, you know, we were getting invaded by Canada and Mexico. It was like, well, I know where those are. Now imagine in a few thousand years, there was another government in that region of Canada and another government in that region of Mexico. That's exactly what Ezekiel 38 and 39 are saying. They're saying in our day, these are the nations. Now we know where their boundaries are. And what we hear in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is that there would be an invasion from the north, an invasion from the south, that there would be a coordinated effort for three things, take the land and the lineage, oppose the Lord. Um, Revelation also calls this the battle of Armageddon. And so if you look at these ancient nations, um, see the arrow on the left is Israel. <laughs> right? I mean, if, if you're my age, you're squinting, you can't see it. And so in the north, Gog and Magog is Russia. That's the land. Some don't know this, 18% of Russians are Muslims. Persia is Iran. Iran, I believe, is the puppet master for everything that is transpiring in the Middle East. We know that Iran trained and equipped Hamas as giving them $100 million a year. We also know that they have equipped and trained Hezbollah in the north, which is now firing over the border, and they are more sophisticated than Hamas. So Iran is waging a proxy war through Hamas in the south and Hezbollah in the north. In addition, Gomer and Togermah that are listed in Ezekiel 38 and 39, that's Turkey, which is a Muslim country. So Iran is fully Muslim, Turkey, fully Muslim, parts of Russia, Muslim. In the south, it'll talk about Libya, and that is uh, Islamic, Ethiopia, which is Muslim, and possibly parts of Sudan and Central Africa. Um, the question is, are we entering into the Ezekiel 38-39 war? We don't know. We don't know. What we do know is that if we see Iran enter the war, that Turkey and Russia will go with them. Behind them will be North Korea and China. And if there is an attack from the South, now what you're looking at is World War III and the war to end all wars. Is it going to happen? I don't know. Israel's been attacked and invaded so many times and we've not gotten there yet. Even in the days of the Thessalonians, they were asking, are we there? And here we are a few thousand years later saying, not yet. Lots of birth pains, but we've not birthed eternity with the second coming of Jesus yet. I believe that the spirit of Hamas will be working through all of these nations to do the same thing that it did in the days of Noah, the same things that it did in the days of Ishmael, the same things that it did in the days of the Egyptian empire. And that is to take the land and try and end the lineage and stop the will of the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, there is tremendous hope at the end of Ezekiel 39. And it basically says that this is the one war in the history of the world that Israel would lose. 
They would lose the land. They would be eradicated as a people. And, um, and the will of the Lord would be thwarted. And so that's when the Lord returns. That Jesus comes down to win the war that Israel would otherwise lose. Because ultimately, I just thought of this. Um, the land belongs to Jesus. He's the seed of Abraham. That's what Galatians says. Genesis 12, if memory serves me correct, says the land belongs to the seed of Abraham. Galatians says it's singular, not plural, speaking to Jesus Christ. The land belongs to Jesus. He's coming back for his land. In addition, the lineage, these people are descendants of Abraham and Jesus is Jewish. He's Hebrew and he's coming as the Lord to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. And it says that what will happen is there'll be a restoration of the land. There'll be then a revival among the Jewish people. It says that the spirit of God will be poured out on the nation of Israel, that there will be massive revival. Paul says the same thing in his letter to the Romans. So where is history going? Birth pains until a global conflict that literally would cause the Abrahamic covenant to finally be thwarted and ended by the spirit of Hamas, and then Jesus returns. Every great movie, every Marvel movie is just a ripoff of the story of Jesus. The planet is in peril, it's a dark day, it's the last hour, and some superhero from the outside comes to rescue us. His name is Jesus. Um, I'm still going. Um, let me give you uh, the return of Jesus to win the battle of Armageddon. The Ezekiel 38 and 39 war is described in Revelation 16, 6 as the battle of Armageddon. Let me read this to you from Zechariah 14, one through four. This, this should just melt your soul with joy and hope. This should cause you to just thank God for Jesus Christ. Behold, a day is coming. Let me say this, friends. A day is coming. I believe, we believe the word of the Lord. A day is coming for the Lord. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. This is, I believe, the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. And the city, that is Jerusalem. Ultimately, make no mistake, the goal is to get Jerusalem. The city shall be taken and all the houses plundered and the women raped. We had some of these birth pains this week. Half of the city shall go into exile. Israel is losing the battle. Then the Lord, then the Lord, then the Lord Jesus Christ returns, amen? I don't know if you believe this, but I do. I have banked everything on the second coming of Jesus Christ. Everything. 30 years in the pulpit, my family, deathbed with people who are dying and departed. 
I believe in the Bible and I believe in Bible prophecy and I believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ and I believe in the resurrection of the dead and I believe in the kingdom of God and I believe it by faith until I see him by sight. Then the Lord will go out and fight. The battle belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord will go out and fight against those nations as though he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. That's exactly where he ascended from. That's exactly where he descends to that lies before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. Islam will push for global control and jihad. They will want to bring peace through the sword and then they will rise up the counterfeit Christ, the man of lawlessness, the antichrist, and they will conspire together to eradicate the Jewish people from the face of the earth to take the land, to end the lineage and to stop the Lord. And then the Lord descends and takes care of it all by himself. And as soon as his feet hit the Mount of Olives, it splits in two. The archangel and the heavenly host come with him. And our Lord Jesus Christ will rule, will reign, will judge, will sentence, and will be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he will not just take back the promised land, but every inch of land that was created by him and is under his Lordship. Amen? Let's read the last section of scripture. Encourage one another with these words. The world looks, I just feel inclined to say this. It's getting worse. He's getting closer. First Thessalonians five. Now concerning the times and seasons. This is where everyone goes, when? in the fullness of time. The times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, that's the second coming of Jesus Christ, will come like a thief in the night, completely unexpected. While people are saying there's peace and security, finally things are good. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, this is you, encourage one another with these words. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do. Let us Keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and sober-minded, having put on the breastplate of faith. I trust Jesus. I'm waiting for Jesus and love. We're gonna love each other because we are the children of God. And for the helmet, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. You need to continue to hope that you are not destined for wrath, you are destined for salvation through Jesus Christ. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, 
Whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, such good news, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I'm gonna bring the band up. We're gonna, we're gonna worship. There's war out there, but there's worship in here. And we worship the one who ultimately wins the war. That is the hope of the believer. As we get ready to worship, what he says, when Jesus returns, there will be believers and unbelievers, unbelievers in darkness and believers in light. We see what's going on. We know what's going on. It's not darkness, it's light. We see it plainly and clearly. We're not asleep, we're awake. We're not drunk, we're sober and sober-minded. We don't think that there is peace and security. We know that these are labor pains. We know that we are not destined for wrath because we have salvation awaiting us through Jesus Christ. Before we worship, I'll pray in just a moment. We're close. I don't know how close, but Revelation 1.7 says, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. We live in the first time in human history where every eye can see him when he returns. We have technology that allows us to see. Right now what we are seeing, we're seeing what's going on in the Middle East. It's birth pains, it's foreshadowing. When Jesus returns, every eye will see him. The entire planet will watch him descend on the clouds, rule and reign forever and ever. We're close. I don't know how close, but we're close. We're closer than they were in the days of the Thessalonians. And prophecy can now be fulfilled and every eye can see him. He's coming. I pray and we'll worship. Lord Jesus, we believe that you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Philippians where it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord Jesus, we believe that you are coming we believe that the scriptures are true. We believe that the Holy Spirit is at war with the Hamas spirit. We believe that we are destined for salvation and not wrath. We believe that we should encourage one another and live with hope. We believe that we know the end and we come to worship the one who wins the war. And Lord Jesus, we say, amen. We look forward to your coming. We can't wait to see you. We can't wait to see you and to forever be with the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen.